Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. This is Dr. Maureen Nemetsky. I'm very privileged to have with me today Sally Grazi-Shatskis, who is going to talk to us about drama therapy. Um, <clears throat> Sally Grazi-Shatskis is a registered drama therapist and licensed creative arts therapist. Sally has over a decade of work in the drama therapy field, innovating creative arts-based programs at the Yeshiva of Flatbush in Brooklyn and spearheading creative approaches in Jewish education at multiple other institutions. Sally piloted the first Witness Theater program with Holocaust survivors and teenagers in New York in in 2012 and continues to work as the lead drama therapist for the program, training others to facilitate Witness Theater in different locations. Sally is a noted lecturer and educator whose work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the Daily News, the Jewish Week, and the Forward. Sally was featured in the spring of 2017 as one of the Jewish Week's notable 36 under 30. She is also the recipient of the esteemed 2019 Covenant Award for Excellence in Jewish Education. Sally and the 2017 Witness Theater Program are the subject of the newly released documentary, Witness Theater, by Oren Rudofsky. And we are so lucky to have Sally here with us today. Sally, thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning. It's my pleasure. So first off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? How did you get into drama therapy? Hmm. So, yes, definitely. That's one of my favorite questions. Um, What happened was that when I was in elementary and high school, I was a performer and I auditioned for all the, the productions that were available to me. And as I continued to be on stage and um, involved in theater, and other performing arts, I started to realize that they were they were really contributing to my self growth, and they were kind of molding me as a person and helping me to develop great um, interpersonal skills and even um, even a really deep sense of spirituality. I would say I found on the stage, and as I grew up and I continued to have these experiences. I realized how innately therapeutic theater actually is. Um, And I said, you know, there really should be a field called drama therapy. I actually thought I invented the field. Um, And that was back when Google had just come out. And I said, let me just, let me just type drama therapy into this thing called Google and um, see if someone else has maybe come up with the idea. And lo and behold, it was actually an established field with a master's program. And, and so that was around my freshman year of college, and I knew that's where I was destined. And, um, and the rest is kind of history. I, I completed whatever I needed to do in order to get into that master's program when I was in college. And I went straight from college into the drama therapy master's program. And I was, I was and still am really passionate about um, healing and nurturing and growing other people um, through through theater. So what exactly is drama therapy? How is that different or related to sort of what we kind of think of as traditional therapy? My other favorite question, um, drama therapy, even though it's, in my opinion, uh, the most incredible field out there in mental health, it's a small field. So people haven't heard of it. They're not sure what it is. I get questions all the time like, you mean trauma therapy, you're treating trauma, or 
is drama therapy therapy for actors? Um, but it's not, actually. Drama therapy is appropriate for all populations across the board, all ages, um, all kinds of different mental health-related issues. So drama therapy is the intentional use of theater techniques or drama techniques for psychological purposes. So think, you know, traditional therapy, but instead of talking, just talking, we have this giant um, toolbox of theater techniques, including role play and script writing and um, puppetry and um, a whole host of other techniques that we use for psychological purposes, for healing purposes. So each case is tailored to meet the needs of, of the client. So I might use um, storytelling with clay with young children um, in a social skills group. I might use script writing and performance like I do with Holocaust survivors in the Witness Theater program. So it depends on the needs of the clients, but really in drama therapy, we have an infinite number of techniques that we can use. So what kind of clients would benefit from drama therapy? So what sort of issues are, is it best, you know, is it the best modality to work through? And what, you know, all ages, all backgrounds, who, who would benefit the most? I would say um, it's a, that's a difficult question to answer because the truth is um, successful therapy happens when there is a good, a good fit between a client and a therapist. So you can have a, a client who has an issue that is very well treated by drama therapy, but if it's, it's not a good fit, then it won't be successful. Um, on the contrary, if you have a client who has a great, um, a great uh, mental health practitioner who uses talk therapy, that might be fantastic, you know, even though they could have used drama therapy. So it really depends on the client-therapist relationship. But generally, drama therapists in the field treat all kinds of different populations from the young to the geriatric, from substance abuse to eating disorders, from um, from delving into kind of psychodynamic, you know, unra unraveling what's happened in the past to trying to um, change behaviors in the future. Um, so, so really it can be used to treat pretty much any issue out there. I would say, we don't really work um, specifically in a, in a behavioral change way. I would say if someone needs a very specific plan of attacking a certain behavior and changing that behavior, then they would need more of a cognitive behavioral therapist. But often, clients will have cognitive behavioral therapy alongside drama therapy. So you can kind of mix and match or a drama therapist who also is trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and uses those techniques when needed. So you mentioned, you know, finding a good fit and how important that is. So how does one go about finding a drama therapist? Hmm. Well, the National Association for, actually it's called the North American Association, North American Drama Therapy Association, NADTA.org, um, has a whole resource of, of where to find drama therapists. They're not so easy to find. There are a few in private practice, um, and a lot of drama therapists work in hospitals, prisons, some work in schools, um, and some have 
special specialized organizations that they're part of. Um, but I would say the the association is the best place to find a drama therapist, although we are kind of hard to find. So you are a school-based drama therapist, correct? Correct. Yes, I am lucky enough to be a school-based drama therapist. And the reason that I am able to do that is because I'm working in a private school, in a private school that creates their own budget and um, tells their own resources they can decide who they want to hire. And so I was able to complete my licensure with hours in the school because I was able to be supervised here and paid by Yeshiva Flatbush as opposed to in the public school system where there is not really an opportunity to, at least there wasn't back when I was getting my license, there's not, there wasn't really an opportunity in public schools to be supervised by a creative arts therapist because, because they didn't have any on staff. And they could not, it was too difficult to work out that situation. So many drama therapists, when they're working towards their licensure, would go to other sites, non-school-based, and often they would remain at those sites. So it's unusual to have a drama therapist in a school setting. So how do you fit in drama therapy to the school setting? So I I do a, a number of different programs. One of the programs that I created uh, 14 years ago is a program called Kids Speak, and it's for children whose parents are divorced. Um, I did some research and discovered that a lot of the students whose parents were divorced were kind of on the radar for the guidance department anyway, and we decided to create a program because these these students didn't necessarily have specific issues. Rather, they needed some, they needed support, and they needed to meet other children who were in similar situations and feel that they had a safe place to discuss a situation that they would not otherwise discuss with their classmates. So I created this program where there's a group in every grade. So you meet in a group with your peers from your grade. And we work through different drama therapy modalities. And it's really a support group where we can kind of create scenarios that parallel things that might be going on at home but in the, ther- in, in the counseling session. So we might create a neighborhood of characters, of clay characters, and have those characters interacting in, the, in a story where we do a chapter each week. And through that kind of work, the students are really working on social skills, communication skills, emotional expression, all things that really all students benefit from, but they're in this very specialized um, setting where everybody knows that each other's parents are divorced and so things like visitation schedules and parents arguing and lawyers and therapists are normalized and become something that the students would be would feel safe speaking about. That sounds so important because it must be just very difficult for young children going through this process and feeling like they're so alone and it must be super helpful for them to see that they're that there are others just like them. Yes, and actually the two most important things to teach a child when their parents are are divorced is, number one, that your parents will always love you no matter where they are and where they're living, and two, that they're not alone. So the first piece, um, I work with, I work very closely with the parents, and, you know, that's a piece that has to happen at home, but I do have a close relationship with all the parents I work with. But the second piece is taking care of right away when they walk through the door and they see, oh, wow, there's eight other students in this group. I'm really not alone. And it's only eight, and it's eight students only from my grade. So there must be tons of students in the school. Um, 
and I would say the po the population is small. It's definitely the percentage is not as large as it is in the secular world, but it's still a significant enough number that we need to have a program. So that's the Kids Speak program. That sounds excellent. And I assume a lot of these kids also might have some therapists outside of school. Are you able to talk with them and sort of, you know, liaison with their outside providers to, you know, if you see any issues to make sure they're being addressed everywhere? Yes, we take a whole child approach. So we're in touch with the teachers, the parents, and outside um, therapy, outside therapists when there are. Great. And then do you have, what do you do for, you know, the, do you have programs for other kids in the school? Yeah, so I have a program in first and second grade that I created called the Tommy and Amy series. And what that is, is a series of five puppet shows that I perform with my puppets who are named Tommy and Amy. Um, we have this thing in Yeshiva Flatbush called the Flatbush Five, and it's basically the foundations of character. So we have respect, honesty, responsibility, kindness, and humility. And those are the five pillars of the, the five foundations of character that we have posted all over the school and taught in the classroom and spoken about all the time. And so I created a puppet show based on each one of those character values. And I go into all the first and second grade classes five times each year. And I do these performances with Tommy and Amy. And then we have interactive discussions where the kids think about how Tommy and Amy were behaving and what about their behavior was not kind or dishonest or irresponsible and how their behavior could be changed to be in line with our character values. And they, then they come up and they speak to the puppets and the puppets talk back to them and, and try out different things that the students are suggesting. So it, it's basically an interactive um, puppet show really tailored to the first and second grade, specifically here at Yeshiva Flatbush. And the kids uh, respond so well to the puppets. They really, it's almost like I disappear. They, they speak directly to those puppets and, and they say things that maybe they wouldn't say to a teacher or to a real friend, but they say them to the puppets. And often they say things to the puppets that they need to hear for themselves. That sounds... Uh... That sounds amazing. Can you give us sort of an example of one of those interactions you've seen? Sure. Um, let's see. The last puppet show we did. Right. So we, the last puppet show round that we did was for kindness. So in the kindness episode, Tommy and Amy are outside at recess and Tommy's running for the ball. Uh, oh, Tommy creates, he makes a soccer game or a football game or something. And he, he does not include Amy and Amy's feelings are hurt, and then Amy run, uh, Tommy runs for the ball, and he falls, and Amy starts to laugh at him and make fun of him. She's, she's upset that she wasn't included, and then Tommy's upset that she was making fun of him, and so the students might suggest, come up and suggest, you know, the whole thing becomes a mess with Tommy and Amy. They really don't behave well, and the teacher gets upset, and they get caught in their own misbehavior. And so the students might come up when at the end of the puppet show and say, you need to include everyone. Um, and then, you know, so that's something that's important to say out loud. But then Tommy might respond, well, I didn't really want to include Amy because she was so mean to me. And so we have a discussion about when someone is mean to you or when someone's unkind to you, responding with something that's unkind is not going to help the situation. It's going to make it worse. And how do you respond to someone 
who is making you really angry? How do you respond appropriately using your words, um, keeping yourself safe, but also letting the person know how you feel because sometimes the other person doesn't even know. So that kind of thing. Right. And then this is for the first and second graders. Yes. And do you, do you feel that they sort of keep those lessons with them as they continue on for the rest of school? Yes, I do. They, they always remember Tommy and Amy, and there are posters of Tommy and Amy all over the school, so they've kind of become like the Flappish Five mascots. Um, and I see kids all the time, oh, hi, Mara Sally, where's Tommy and Amy? So they, they really have a life of their own in, in our school, and it's, it's pretty amazing to see. Wow. So besides the, you know, the Kids Speak and the Tommy and Amy program, do you do any kind of individual sessions with students during the school? They are smaller groups. Um, well, the Kids Speak program is small groups. I do some individual counseling, although there are a lot of students who are, whose parents are divorced. So that keeps me pretty busy in the groups. Um, and also because, you know, we have to be respectful of the school day, we don't, we do some individual counseling, but um, mostly we work in groups, and if there is a student who needs individual counseling on a long-term basis, we refer them for outside therapy because school is really not the place to offer law, any kind of long-term, deep therapeutic experiences. And then how does this incorporate during the school day? Are, are kids sort of pulled out in classes, happen during lunch? Um, yeah, it usually happens in the morning, either during tefillah or in during lunch or sometimes during a specialty. But it's difficult because, you know, you don't want them to miss anything too often. You don't want to get the message across that specialties are not, are not important. Um, lunchtime is sometimes really important for these students to practice the skills that they're learning in counseling. So uh, recess is also a really important time. So you kind of have to work around and, and figure out a schedule that works best for the for the student. So if a you know if a parent thinks their child might benefit from drama therapy, but they go to a school that doesn't have a drama therapist, what advice would you give them? Hmm. Well, I would say um, to look at the nadta.org site to find a drama therapist in private practice. Um, I'm not, I can also make my, you know, make my professional information available. So if somebody were to be seeking a drama therapist in private practice, they could email me and I can refer them um, to a specific person. I have, I have colleagues who work with eating disorders. I have colleagues who work with anxiety, colleagues who specialize in adolescence. Um, so I have a, a few different colleagues who, who could be referred to. And is the best way for someone to find your information your website? Yes, that's the best way. And that is, and that's the sallygrazishotskis.com, correct? Yes, so, that's correct. I'm going to spell it out for the listeners. Um, S-A-L-L-Y-G-R-A-Z-I-S-H-A-T-Z-K-E-S.com. And I strongly recommend that everybody take a look at the website. It's got some great information on it about drama therapy, and, and the next topic I wanted to get to, actually, witness theater. So I know that's sort of one of your larger initiatives. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, witness theater is an initiative that was actually started in Israel about 25 years ago by um, a drama therapist who is a child of two survivors, and her whole life she 
um, did not want to hear her parents' stories. It was too painful. It was too complicated with the parent-child dynamic. But as her parents grew older, she realized that if she didn't hear the stories, they would be lost forever. So she came up with this dramatic structure whereby students and survivors get together in a group over the course of a year or two and hear the stories and turn them into a play. And the whole process is facilitated using drama therapy. So um, fast forward about 20 years or so, um, an organization called Self-Help Community Services, which is based in Manhattan, uh, saw this work presented in Israel and decided that they should do it here because they have such a huge population of survivors. Um, and then they went about seeking a drama therapist and they found me through uh, the NYU master's program. Um, and it was truly a Bashert moment because I, I said, I'm definitely interested in doing this and not only am I interested, but I work in a school and I can provide you with the students and the space. So um, we started hosting this program in 2012 um, at Yeshiva Flatbush and we started with 13 students who I kind of had to beg to be part of this program because they weren't quite sure what it what it was. And I myself wasn't quite sure how it was going to pan out, even though I was trained by the Israeli um by the Israeli drama therapist. I wasn't, you know, it's very hard to predict what any specific year of drama of witness theater is going to look like. Um, but we took a leap of faith and we did it and it was absolutely incredible. The bringing together of the two generations, the teenagers and the Holocaust survivors, was absolutely magical. And the use of drama therapy techniques assured that everything would stay safe and contained and and distanced, slightly distanced, because we're working in a in an artistic way. So it did not feel dangerous or burdensome or scary or re-traumatizing for anybody in the program. And eight years later, it's become the most competitive program in Flatbush. Um, unfortunately, we have to turn students away each year because it is a small group process. Um, and so many students want to participate, which is amazing because it's only open to seniors and it's on a voluntary um it's, it's voluntary. So they're coming senior year and they're dedicating minimum two hours a week of their time in their last year of high school to working with very elderly people. And it's pretty amazing that we have so many students who want to participate in this. Do other, have other schools adopted that model? So there are other sites that have happened. Um, Flatbush is the only one that's consistently happened every single year since we, we began. But other sites have included SAR. I think SAR did the program for four or five years. Heschel um, did a joint program with Trinity, which involved non-Jewish students and Jewish students. This year, Heschel is doing it with Ramaz. Um, there was a site uh, through the through a Long Island JCC that pulled from multiple schools. Um, and I think there was a site one year in Jersey. This year, there is a site that's non-denominational specifically with um, non-Jewish students. They have a couple of Jewish students, but they were looking for a really diverse group. Um, so there are there have been, I mean, there there have been, I think, over 300 students and maybe maybe 175 survivors who have participated in this program over the last eight years. 
Sounds amazing. And I imagine some of these students are themselves the, the grandchildren of survivors, and then some of them may not be the grandchildren of survivors, especially, you know, in schools that are not as Ashkenazi as, as other schools are. Um, have you seen a difference in how those students relate to the, to the survivors and to the whole process? Well, from my end in Flatbush, we have a mainly Sephardic population, so I don't have the comparison between the Sephardic and the Ashkenaz students, although here and there I've had Ashkenaz students in the program. I did have a a student who was a grandchild of survivors one year. Um, There's not really a marked difference. The, The students who are in the program are really, really special, and they take it in, they drink it in um, really deeply. But it's interesting because the Sephardic students really have no background. They have a small bit of Holocaust education, um, and they come in really not knowing anything, not the geography of of Europe, not um, the events of history, not what it means to be a survivor or what it means to be second, um, second generation. So they really have no backdrop. And so we do need to spend some time with a, with a background education. Um, but more importantly, they all come in with this eagerness to work with elderly people and a deep sense of respect for them. And that's what really builds the foundation for any kind of work or healing that happens in the program. Because when you have people in the room who just want to be there because they want to, because they want to listen, because they want to get to know people, that's really all, all that you need. You don't need much more, many more ingredients than that. Um, but it is interesting to see these Sephardic students um, kind of adopting the stories of the survivors as their own family stories, as their own history. And um, uh, it, it really becomes part of, part of their journey of being alive. So even though they're not directly related, they feel that these stories that they've learned have now become part of their life stories, and these people are now part of their families. Oh, and what kind of feedback have you gotten from the survivors themselves? The survivors um, are amazed at how this process works. They are amazed that the students are there just for them, to listen to them. They discover Um, things about themselves that they never knew. I've had survivors who have come to the program and said, I don't really have a story to tell because I only lost my mother or I survived in hiding with my whole family and we didn't, I didn't go to a concentration camp. So I don't really have a story. And they've discovered through the process that they really do have a story and it really deserves to be heard. Um, And by the end of the program, they are so in love with these students. um, It's hard when the program is, is over. And they've all, they all come to, we have a reunion every year and they come and I'm in touch with so many of them and the students maintain their relationships and it's like they have new family members forever for the rest of their lives. And it must be so important to have them tell their story, especially as there are fewer and fewer survivors. We don't want these stories to be lost. Right. And it's a different kind of telling. It's not like writing a book. It's not like giving a speech. You know, we've had a lot of survivors who have spoken in schools and spoken in the museum, but this is a whole different kind of telling because this is not a one-time thing. This is a, a, a program where they come and we, we ask them not to tell their story from the Holocaust yet because we want to get to know them as they are as a person and uh, what are their hobbies and, and what does their family look like and what do they like to do 
on Sundays and what kind of food do they like to eat. So we, we really spend time getting to know each other before we hear their Holocaust stories. So by the time they tell us those stories, they feel that they can really trust the entire group. And, and it's, it's a different it's a whole different kind of telling. They're, they're more inclined to share more details because we have so much time to spend with them. And it must be a very therapeutic process for everybody in the room at that point. Every single person. It's therapeutic for every single person, including the staff. And have some of these, is this the first time for some of these survivors where they're telling their stories? Um, yes, we've had plenty of survivors who have not told their stories or who have held back from sharing specific details because they didn't want to burden their children with the stories. Um, we have, I've had, uh, there was a survivor one year who was hidden in a convent and, and suffered guilt her whole life because when her mom came, when her mom came back after the war, she had survived and wanted to take her out of the convent. She didn't want to go with her mother. And she went unwillingly and, and resented her mother for a long time. And she lives with that guilt. And she never told her story because she felt so guilty. And when she came to Witness Theater and she finally opened up and shared her story, we were able to connect her to an entire community of children, of, of people who are just like her, who survived um, in convents and experienced similar things to what she experienced. It must have been so, so difficult for her. And it must have been such a therapeutic and cathartic experience to be able to sort of let that guilt go. Yes. And, and she said in the beginning, I don't want to tell my story. I don't feel comfortable telling my story. But by the time it came time to tell stories, which was two months into the process, she said, I'm ready. It's amazing. So if any of our listeners are survivors themselves or the children of survivors who they want to help you know, help, you know, get them connected to witness theater, um, what, what should they do? I would say if they are a client of self-help, which many survivors are, then they can contact the self-help office directly and say, I want my parent or I would like to be part of the witness theater program, um, and they'll help them. Uh, but they can also contact me through my website, and I can help them get connected through self-help. That would be amazing. And so I'm just going to just repeat the website address again, just, you know, in case anyone didn't get it the first time. It's sallygrazishatskis.com, S-A-L-L-Y-G-R-A-Z-I-S-H-A-T-Z-K-E-S.com. So Sally, is there anything else you want to tell us about drama therapy and your work or advice for uh, listeners out there who either are interested in being a client of a drama therapist or being a drama therapist themselves? Hmm. If someone is interested in being a, a drama therapist themselves, I would say contact me right away. The field is amazing, um, and and particularly for uh, for Orthodox Jews who are interested in the performing arts and also the helping professions. And that's a whole other conversation, but. Because I'm an Orthodox Jew, I was not able to participate in a lot of the, the theater activities that were happening in my college. And so I sought a profession that would accommodate an Orthodox lifestyle and not be so much about me, which is, what, which is often what a, a, an actor's life ends up being because you have to audition all the time and face rejection. Anyway, so, so I was able to discover this profession with, which worked well for my passion uh, for performing arts and also for my Orthodox Jewish lifestyle. 
So if you're interested in the field, get in touch with me. Um, and I would also say um, mental health is so important and it's, it's nothing to laugh about. And there are so many people who are in need of mental health resources now. And it's just like needing a medical professional. If you are sick, you go to the doctor. If you want to prevent something, you go to the doctor. If you're feeling pain, you go to the doctor, you seek help. If you are feeling some kind of um, something that's going on in your mind or, or with your emotions that doesn't feel right, seek help. And that can come in the form of lots of different kinds of mental health resources, drama therapy being one of them. But, um, but if you need help, you should seek it. And it, it is, and it, it can be uh, the difference between someone who suffers and someone who lives a fulfilling, happy life. Thank you so much, Sally. That is so important for people to hear. And thanks so much for speaking with us today. And Sharkochach on all of the great work you've been doing. My pleasure. Thank you for the work that you're doing. It's really, really incredible. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.